This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Sablaki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to our podcast. Tom, a big figure today. Yeah, big figure in history, one that, again, says there's probably so much stuff out there. There is so much stuff out there on when just doing the research for this. There's, I'm sure there's podcasts just on this individual, super deep dives, which is not what we do here, right? We're not nope. doing a super deep dive. This is going to be kind of just like a brief little, you know, overview just to give you information. Accessible, on it, accessible right? history, accessible yeah. history. Or definitely yeah. someone who influenced. If you look at it, I mean, we'll talk about it obviously in the podcast, but just influenced so much when it comes to Western culture. We're talking about Julius Caesar, right? He transformed Rome from a republic to an empire. He was very ambitious, led to a lot of political reforms, right? He was famous not just for what he did militarily and politically, but also probably, you know, he's that one of history's steamiest love affairs with Cleopatra and just yeah. has a lot of cool quotes. Influence, influence, <laughs> oh, a lot of quotes. You know, some of them, whether or not they, he said them or not, that's one of those things. Yeah. But just a lot of influence today. You know, so much like Shakespeare writes a play about the guy which a lot of people take as like biographical, but like, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff there. Brief overview. And then we'll get to some fun facts because there's a decent amount of fun facts here that we could talk about uh, with regards to it. So Julius Caesar, but one thing I looked into, first of all, when I started doing a research for Julius Caesar was how the heck do we know so much about Julius Caesar? Like that was my first yeah. thing I looked into. Right? Yeah. So once you start researching it, you realize that we actually know so much about him because he wrote about himself. Like the victors write the right history. And that's pretty much what happened with him. So he yeah. won everything. So he's writing about himself and he's recording himself, particularly his battles with the Gauls, right? That's yes. probably what he writes a lot about, Most which is writings. probably one of his greatest achievements also. And he writes all about it. So you have all that recorded history there. It's, you know, it's a primary source with a little, with a little bit of a spin, of course, on it. Of course. Yeah. Right. He wrote his own history, kind of like Churchill would say, uh, history will be kind to me for I shall write it. I mean, that's basically yeah. the premise here with Caesar. That's, a, that's a, Not the premise. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so Caesar, when you look at his writings, besides the fact that he wrote about himself, Cicero was also a very known, who lived at the same time as Julius Caesar, uh, also a very known philosopher that wrote as well as Caesar in Latin. So the Christian religion has preserve their writings, believe it or not, when I was looking into it over the years and centuries, because they said Julius Caesar and Cicero's writings were the best pure examples of the Latin language as it was written. So they started using these writings kind of as a guide on you know preserving the Latin language itself, which is yeah, why they became so popular. Yeah, these stories became so popular because even the Christian world adopted them as like, all right, well, if we want a reference on how to write something in Latin... Let's go back to Caesar and, and, and Cicero's writing. Yes, and it, became, like, it became a source book, basically. Exactly. All right, so Julius Caesar, well, right, was a very known general, politician, scholar in ancient Rome. Everyone pretty much knows that. Uh, he conquers a, a region of Gaul, helps initiate in a Roman Republic, all that good stuff. Is born, this is the start thing again, it's just so weird that we could read his own writing, and this dude was born 100 BC. Yeah, one, right. 100 BC, July 13th, 100 BC. And his father had the exact same name as him, guy Gaius Julius, Julius Caesar. And yeah. his mother, Aurelia Cotta, yep. she winds up, her family was a little bit more influential than the father's family from what I was reading too. Yep, same here. But um, there's this rumor with Caesar, I'm not, I'm not going to give away the fun facts now, we rumor Caesar that he was born by Caesarian, and that's not true. Not true. He was not born by Caesarian. His mother lived you know, deep into his life, and then she lives into her 50s or something like that. They believe that the Caesar name probably could have come from someone in his background, in his bloodline, could have been born by Caesarian, which did exist at the time, but it was only done in- Complete emergency. Yeah. Complete emergency because the mother was not surviving it. 
You yeah. ever watch that Walking Dead episode, right? When they have to like do the cesarean, right? The mother's not surviving uh, that that procedure. It's only done if the mother's already dead or she's dying just to save the child. But Caesar's mom did live, I and mean, supposedly Caesar could trace his bloodline all the way back to Venus, right? So he was yep. he was a descendant of the goddess Venus, and that's what he that's what he would basically argue. And his name could mean several things, right? It could mean cesarean. It could mean something about flowing hair, right? I saw that too. I wasn't sure. It, like, could, I... it also meant that one of it, and it meant killer of elephants. You saw that, right? I saw that too. It was like yeah. this idea of like that perhaps someone in his bloodline somewhere down the line had killed, killed an, elephant. an elephant. And they and said that's what Caesar always talked about. You see a lot of pictures of him, I guess, or like imagery of him with elephants, they said. Sources well, he was said. obsessed with Alexander the Great. We'll yeah, get to that. Yeah, yeah. Right does. Yeah, Caesar um, knew history, without a doubt. Yeah, no. I mean, the guy's a writer. His father dies very quickly uh, in 85 BC. Caesar um, becomes head of the family. He's like 15, 16 years old. He's fairly young. And what's happening is while he comes of age and becomes the head of his family, Rome, as we know, is in the midst of a civil war between his uncle, Marius, and the Roman ruler, Lucius Cornelius Sola, right? Sola. And that's something you see a lot with this, uh, we're doing research, right, Pete, is that Rome's yep. at civil war a lot. Like there's oh, yeah. a lot of these civil wars in Rome. Like They're just fighting constantly with somebody and then with each other that's just what happened to me everyone's vying for power that's just something to keep in mind if you're ever reading history about this point is they are always fighting interesting thing here too is he did not come from the most wealthy household he did learn how to read and write in latin at a young age he did study roman law history and he learned to be a, a public speaker he, was he did all this too. Yeah, he was pretty decent at that. And he did all this when he was like a teenager. So around the time when his father passes away, Julius is made responsible for providing for his mother and his sister, Julia, right? Julius, Julia, right? Yeah. So he's thinking about joining the priesthood to support his family. But essentially, he he's like, well, that's not really going to get me the money I want. So he's in love with one woman, but a woman that he is technically in love with is of like a below standing. So he starts looking for a wife that is... Uh, a certain level. And I think it was Patric patrician. Is that the word I'm looking for? A patrician of Rome comes from a Latin word, patres, meaning fathers. And these families provided for like the empire's political, religious, uh, yeah, military. Yeah, like the big leadership. shops. These are, these, are, these are the wealthy elites. Wealthy landowners. Yeah, yeah, wealthy elites. So he basically finds a wife among one of these wealthy elites. Um, Cornelia. She's his, is she his cousin? Because... She's a daughter of Marius, yes. Yeah, so I guess they're probably somewhat related, maybe somewhere down the line, but I don't think blood from what I heard. But they, she's a daughter of Marius, right? His ally. Yeah. And they do have one child together, who um, Julia. Also Julia. Who, who was also Julia, yeah. yeah they were called like Julia Major and Julia Minor. That's how they were like distinguished against. But what basically is Sulla wins the um, Civil War yeah. and basically he kills you know, Marius. And then he orders Caesar to divorce her, Cornelia. And Caesar refuses to. And he actually goes into hiding. Caesar is banished, more or less, by Sulla. His father-in-law was just killed by Sulla, so Marius yeah. is done. And done. therefore, all of the money that was going to go to Caesar from Marius through his daughter and Caesar's gone. wife yeah. is gone. So Sulla strips Caesar of all of his inheritance. The guy's yeah, he lets got him nothing. come back. He lets him come back. They say, right, they say Caesar can come back as long, but he has no inheritance. Yep. So he's allowed to come back, but that's it. So he, he say, I'm not going to kill you. But you're starting from scratch. You're not getting out of your inheritance. And that's when he basically comes um, He runs away, right? He runs away. Well, he joins the army for a number of years. And he's yeah. actually doing pretty good there. He's fighting. He was awarded a civic, uh, the civic crown, which is kind of like not a medal of honor, but it's a, something of that level. Well, and this is then, where he uh, makes, gives him a name for himself. You're going to hear about his bravery, his battle tactics. And he just he pretty much stays in the army until Sulla dies, right? Because he still doesn't really trust coming back totally. Yeah. So while he's out there, Caesar is awarded many medals for saving lives in battle, right? He's 
promoted and promoted and promoted through ranks as he's going through. It seems like he found his niche in the military. Essentially, when he comes back to Rome after the uh, death of Sulla in 70, what is it? It's, I think it's 78 70, BC. 78 BC, right? When he comes back, he's got a military status. So because he's also a good speaker and he's educated, he then enters politics and he decides like, all right, well, I have some basis. I have some credibility through my military exploits. So he starts to rise through political ranks fairly quickly. He does become a prosecutor. And that's really what he um, becomes kind of known for. That's how he gets into politics because he yeah. goes after what he calls corrupt government officials. Yeah. So he's doing that. And then, yeah, so he's slowly earning his uh, his way and he gets elected. What he does do is um, Cornelia died in 67 BC. So all this all matters. She winds up marrying Pompeia which is the granddaughter of Sulla. And he, well, he does that to and, consolidate and, the enemies. Yeah, and, and it's a relative of Pompey the Great, which is another big-time military leader, and they form that alliance. So it's, it's all like construed. It's all these these marriages are very political. Like, you know, I'm going to marry your daughter. You're, I'm going to marry your granddaughter. You're going to marry my daughter. And now we're all going to be one family. And since we're family, we're going to work together. And, like, you know, it's kind of like a Games of Thrones, House of Dragons, all that crazy stuff. This is just, I mean, this is all real life. Minus the dragons and stuff like that. I mean, I guess that's where these people get their ideas from, right? I would think. Well, yeah. Well, it's all medieval history. Well, medieval Roman history, stuff like that. It's just all this. Wait till we get to the whole thing with Egypt. Like, it's even crazier there. Right. So, anyway, he makes powerful friends, pursues these positions. Friends, one of them is Pompey, who his wife is related to. Pompey the Great and uh, another wealthy person named uh, Marcus uh, Crassus, right? Yeah. During this time, the three of them kind of more or less become like the rulers, I would say. Of Yeah, yeah the Senate is worried about this because Crassus is the richest man in all of Rome. So he's yep. super rich. He helps Caesar get elected as the um, senior Roman consul in 59 yep. BC, and they formed this informal alliance. But if you look in history, it's known as the uh, first triumvirate. And the Senate does not like it. But like, you know, this is, it was terrifying them because they knew that this partnership would be too powerful, these three powerful men together. And then they were proved right. Um, triumvirate soon pretty much controlled Rome. Yeah, no, yeah, they made all the decisions. Uh, during this time, also, Julius, by the Senate, is appointed the governor of Spain. So it's almost like a way of like trying to like get him out of, out of Rome. Out of, um, out of Rome, yeah. Yeah, so he goes to Spain. He commands four Roman legions in Spain, and he's extremely successful, defeating all the Spanish rebellions. And it's actually here that while he's in Spain, right, that he comes across the bust of um, Alexander the Great. Great, yeah. Alexander the Great, during the time of his exploits, was like 30 years old, and he had already conquered you know, most of the world. Yeah. From Just that listen to our podcast on him, and you'll, uh, you'll, you'll know. know about it. But here's Julius Caesar, and he's like, "Crap! Like I'm, I'm almost thirty. Like I, I haven't accomplished as much as he has." And it almost became an obsession with him that, like, Alexander the Great had accomplished by his age so much and conquered so much that Julius Caesar all of a sudden felt like it wasn't enough to just having that military prestige. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he was yeah. having some success in Rome politically, but it's not enough. Yeah, a ton of ambition and seeing that other people outperformed him at that age, like Alexander, other people, he, he got jealous. I guess you'd call it type of jealousy, but also it drove him. It drove yeah. him to do more. He wanted to prove himself. But how do you compare yourself you to be. Alexander the Great at 30? Dude, at 30, I was like playing PlayStation. Like, I, again, I guess it's good to compare, not compare yourself, but strive to be like someone yeah, successful you are, you at your be, age. But Yeah, you want to be, you want to, yeah, strive for greatness. And who's, who's you know, greater at that point than the guy's name is Alexander the Great. So if you're going to strive to be like somebody, it's not a bad, you know, role model. He returns to Rome uh, in about 60 BC. He runs for consul right, and wins. And consul was the highest position in Roman Republic government. So think of it like in a Roman Republic, there was two consuls elected each year 
to serve one year terms. So it's like you're like the president, think of it this way, right? It's only one year term. But again, there's two consuls. They're like the bosses. Now, during this time, he, his relationship with Pompey the Great and Crassus, again, these two wealthy Romans, flourishes even more. And the reason for it is because Julius basically gives Pompey his daughter, Julia, He's like, all right, marry my daughter Julia, and this will further like our family yeah, ties. Yeah, now he, now he's Pompey's father-in-law, right? So it just yep. it's going to again, it's going to connect them. Yeah, the three of them basically like off the books. The three of them pretty much rule Rome. The first triumvirate. Okay, so this is also what brings Julius Caesar because this is an agreement. Like, all right, who's going to like kind of rule what? And Julius Caesar becomes the governor of Gaul. Yeah, um, which is North Central Europe in 58 BC. And doing that, he also gets command of a large army. Like we can do a podcast just on the Gaelic Wars. Like they're, yeah. they're extensive. They're, I mean, just research. I was like, man, this is a lot of stuff, but a lot of names that just get more and more difficult to pronounce. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah. Remember the comic book Asterix? No. De Gaulle? You don't remember Asterix De Gaulle? It's like huge in Europe. It's, it's about That's Asterix old. and Obelix. And, you got to remember uh, oh, again. Pete, I was not born in Europe. Oh, I know you watched like American it. cartoons. I, no, I, these I are was... like these are like French Belgian cartoons. They're so good. Asterix. Yeah, no. Anyway, they were the Gauls and they fought Caesar. I was not reading French comic books when I was five or six. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah, this wasn't um, what was going on. Anyway, so so the Gauls. By the way, FYI, guys, these are like Germanic tribes. Yeah, rather. Germanic like, tribes. Yeah. yeah, fierce warriors. And there's so many. There's so much interesting stuff with them. But Caesar, you know, conducted a bunch of these campaigns. And conquers a region, basically, right? Did a lot of things that like, Alexander Great would do later on when he becomes dictator of Rome. Like all the lands that he conquers in Gaul, he says, after I conquer, you're going to become citizens of Rome. So he is, he's getting very, and through these campaigns, when, it, when the news gets home to Rome, it's also, he's getting very popular. That's one thing that we, I can't, we can't underscore enough of this is Caesar was incredibly popular with the people of Rome. The senators not always liked him. Other leaders didn't always like him. But the people of Rome as a whole pretty much loved the guy. And that's yeah. just something to really just like um, keep in mind. Um, Caesar does a lot of stuff here. He crosses the Rhine River into Germanic territories, right? He even crosses the English Channel to Britain. And that's actually yeah. the first recorded um, British history. Uh, recorded history really starts with when Caesar shows up. He, he never conquers Britain, but he does go there a couple of times. Like he invades. He never stays. And yeah. he only moves off the beach a little bit. But the yeah. fact that he's able to like, go there in itself yeah, was like a big channel, deal go to britain right but he talks about the people of britannia and stuff and that's the beginning of like british like i said british history really recorded yeah, 55 history. bc before common era when you teach do you say like bc or bce like well bce and bc it's just they change it from before christ to before common era but it's the years mash up the same so yeah no i know BC, it's just like it's interesting I know it's supposed to be in the other one see you don't really see common era as much anymore a lot of times you still see bc and ad most yeah, of the research i did on this was yeah. still BC and AD, I think that kind of was a movement. I remember when we were in college, yep. I don't think it really caught. I don't think it really caught on. It was like the yeah, I remember being told, like you should say before Common Era, not before yeah. Christ. Like I remember being taught that in school when we were learning to be teachers. Yeah, that yeah, and yeah. do not use a red pen because it upsets students. You should use a green pen because yeah. it is. I, I, I use a red marker. <laughs> well, now this day and age, everything's online, so it doesn't matter. But I do you remember yeah, that they use, taught us. You, yeah, but use red font. Oh, dude, that's that takes like dedication. You got to click buttons. But I remember being told to use green, use green pens. It's it's lighter on the eyes for the students and it doesn't stress them out. Life is stressful. They'll be OK. Life is stressful. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. 
I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Anyway, so while he's doing his thing, it feels like they're always pushing him out of Rome, though. It's like they're, they know he's too ambitious. So they're like, go out and do stuff. Meanwhile, he's like conquering in the name of Rome. It's conquering of everything, yeah. Uh, but during his absence, the political situation becomes quite bad. There's another civil war, as you mentioned before. It breaks out. Crassus uh, is killed in 54 BC. Well, Crocus, in yeah, Crocus and Pompey don't like each other. Yeah, yes. They never liked each other. And Caesar kind of kept them at bay. But with him not being there... Yeah, it doesn't work out. Yeah, and so with Crassus dead, another thing that kind of messes up this whole like try thing they had going is that same year in 54 BC, Julia, Caesar's daughter, dies in childbirth. Childbirth. So yeah. now, right, like doesn't Pompey have that connection kind of with Pompey. Yeah, yeah Pompey's yeah. kind of PO'd. So he winds up taking full control of Rome. He becomes the sole military leader of Rome. Pompey does. His he orders Caesar home, right? He yes. orders him home. Caesar's getting too popular, so he orders Caesar and his army to return home. And Caesar's the Roman legions like, first. He said, I yeah. need you to disband your Roman legions. So, like, I don't want you returning home with the army. I just army, want you to return him and, and come home. And Caesar's basically like, no, thank you. Yeah. He, instead of, yeah, he takes the legions and continues, like, his conquest. He crosses the yeah. Rubicon River. Uh, march, he basically marches on Rome five years later yeah. uh, in 49 BC. Uh, but, and by then, it, his uh, Caesar's army was so huge and his popularity has preceded him so much that Pompey actually flee, like flees, like he runs to yeah. Spain. Yeah, well, it triggers a civil war, right? And then between Pompey and his supporters and Caesar and his, and Caesar's armies, they pursued him from Spain, Greece, and finally in um, Egypt. Um, when he meets eighteen months Cleopatra. for eighteen yeah. months, he was he was chasing Pompey and, and his armies from through Spain into Egypt. Yep. Um, what I kept on reading about this is he really he really um, respected Pompey, right? Like he he didn't necessarily want to kill Pompey; he just needed to catch him. But he really liked well, you Pompey. want to solidify your power because remember Pompey declared himself the sole ruler. ruler of Rome. So like you almost yeah, need to have him conquered so you could. Well, he, he, he needs him, but he doesn't want to kill him. He's actually angry that because what happens is Ptolemy, right? Uh, Ptolemy, yeah, basically is worried about Rome invading Egypt. So he, um, Pompey is staying there and he kills him. Yeah, so when Caesar shows up, he gives Caesar Pompey's head, severed head. And apparently Caesar's like distraught about this. I read this a couple of places. He was distraught. He's angry about it. And he wants to know who actually killed Pompey. Then he has those people killed. This is where he forms the alliance with Cleopatra. Cleopatra and Ptolemy, they were brother and sister. Yep, but they were also rulers. They were and they were married. That's like the Egyptian, the you know ancient Egypt way. So like, and it was always a ruler of the two kingdoms, like ruler of Upper and Lower Egypt, I guess, right? Or, yep. Because yeah. he's basically like, wait, hold on. Like, he's, he's like, I didn't ask you to do this. You don't have the authority to kill a Roman. Yeah. And at that point, with Cleopatra, uh, the Roman legions battled the Egyptian army for about six months or so. And after the six months, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra officially defeat the Egyptian army in the spring of 47 BCE. 
And at that point, he leaves Cleopatra as the sole queen and ruler of Egypt. Like he basically got there to chase a guy. The leader of Egypt killed the guy for him, which pissed off Julius Caesar. Yeah, so then like, he fought a war against this guy yeah. and then sets Cleopatra as the new leader. And then he's like, all right, peace out. I'm leaving. And then he goes through Asia Minor, just like defeating enemies left and right. You know, any enemy that allied themselves with Pompeii, he found him and, and killed them. Yeah, he had to make sure there was no remnants of Pompey's. Um, but he does stay in Egypt for a little bit, right? Does he, or does he go back? I don't know. But I know he, oh, he stays having... for a little bit. But I think, I mean, do you want to do this now, or you want to talk about it for, like fun? No, we do. It, it fits in with it now. It fits in. All with right, it go. Now. They never marry, but they do have a love of a long-term love affair. Where they supposedly did produce a son, which I, I guess, is I... kind of considered historical fact. Now they did have. I a did, son. yeah. He did have a son, which who was yeah. killed later. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, well, yeah, sad. She gives birth to a son named uh, Caesarian, I guess. Caesarian. Caesarian. You know, little Caesar. Uh, yep. He becomes also uh, Ptolemy the 15th. Yep. Later on, Ptolemy- when, he, when he takes the throne. Because Cleopatra holding is she wants him to be the next ruler of Egypt. But I remember it was always like debate if it was Caesar's son, but now they're basically saying, no, it's Caesar's son. Yeah, but you know how there was unrest in Egypt, right? And Cleopatra and Caesarian actually flee to Rome for protection. Yeah, they're there, and- yeah. And Caesar erects a golden statue of the queen and never really denies the fact that Caesarian is his son. But at the same time, he actually was married. So it was kind of like an awkward thing because he was married. Things weren't looking good for him. The fact that he had a foreign lover that wasn't Roman, that was one thing. And the fact that he was married. So Cleopatra and her son are kind of like not forced, but like suggested they go back to Egypt, which they wind up doing shortly after Caesar's assassination, the infamous assassination. We're getting uh, a little ahead of ourselves. so Yeah, so, but eventually right. what does happen with Caesarian, he is killed by Caesar's great nephew and heir, Octavian. Yeah, Because yeah. he doesn't want anybody trying to claim the throne, basically, or try to claim yeah. Caesar's you know right to power. Let's go back to Caesar's life for a second. All right, so... Yeah, he comes back, so we're in 46 BC now, right? Yep, he comes so back. he comes back to Rome, and he was he's made dictator for 10 years. So yep. remember it. People, a lot of people get confused that Caesar was a Roman emperor. He was never a Roman emperor. He was a dictator several times. So before Rome did have dictators before this, but it was only in times of war. Mm-hmm. Now, he's made dictator for 10 years. And his political opponents are not happy about this. Well, doesn't and he? Because he proclaims himself dictator for life. Well, meanwhile, they only give him that power for 10 years. For 10 years. Yeah, but he's saying it's for life. And they know if he's going to be able to do what he wants. Yeah. Because he's got the people backing him, whether he liked the people or whether he realized, you know, he's here to help the people or knowing if he had the people's backing, since it's supposed to be a republic, you have the people's backing, you have the power, right? But he makes several things actually make life better for lower middle class Romans. Yep. Like he, he um, regulates distribution of grain. So he's giving grain to people so they have food. Poor people, right? Yeah. He's increasing the size of the Senate so more people can get into it. He's reducing the government debt. Something that you know is a great idea for him at the time is he's giving land to uh, military veterans. So he's taking land away from like these wealthy elites and you don't need any more. I'm giving it to these war veterans. So, you know, they're going to support him no matter what, right? We talked about before that when he's um, granting Roman censorship to people in all these territories, one of the biggest things is he adopts the Julian calendar at the time, which changes it from what, 350 days, 55 days to 364 and a a quarter days. So he creates the leap, he creates the leap year, Julius Caesar. Yeah, and I also like looking at this, that was kind of one of the big things of contention here is that he was so good to the poor people. You know, yeah. it was this idea of like... People love him so much, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that like when he's allowing senators to get in and lowering those standards, it's almost like he's creating more of a democracy, but that's not a good thing in Rome. Like the, the wealthy families don't want to dilute that yeah. power. 
Um, I mean, also he's becoming more powerful. Yes. And there were, and then the centers. When I say that, I mean the centers are just getting more and more. So he's going to become a tyrant, and that's what they're going to try to say. But they're also like he's getting more powerful, more powerful than us, and yeah. they don't want that. They, they, that they have. So it's actually in 44 BC is where he declares himself dictator for life. Yeah, that's where he says this, and that's also going to spell his. Um, yeah, a couple months later. Yeah, he gets... that doesn't go over well with his um, with his opponents, with the political, with the politicians. Okay, they're they're afraid he's going to become a king. Uh, let's talk about his death a little bit and kind of finish that up before we get. This is probably the most that. some of the most famous things with him, right? Yeah. So it happens on the Ides of March, March fifteenth, forty four BC, and it's led by several senators, right? Um, particularly Gaius. Cassius Longus. Well, Brutus, you know what? I found out about this. I never knew this. So I always be over here is it, it to Brute, which is something, you know, you to Brutus, which is more of um, what Caesar said. But I always know Brutus was his friend. Actually, there's a lot of evidence now that states that Brutus was probably the illegitimate son of Caesar. And Caesar knew he was probably his son and that he was, and that he might have said, um, you know, and you to my son. Yes. Yeah, I did see that. Which is crazy. Imagine your son stabbing you. I mean, I mean, I mean my one, I could see it. My one, I could see it. Yeah, me too. I could see Isn't that funny <laughs> how that works? Like my one, maybe. My, my, my other one, no. My <laughs> for fun, just for fun. Just for fun. My oh, four-year-old right. would probably do it for fun. Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're terrible. <laughs> but I agree. Mine too. So anyway, there's paintings. Oh, Sean, paintings, paintings, plays, movies. I remember watching one in my history class in like eighth grade. Yeah, that shows Caesar being stabbed to death right, right there on the Senate floor, which is really crazy when you think about it. But if yeah. you watch like videos from around the world, there's some crazy stuff that happens in the Senate at times. Like so looking at even oh, the American Senate, right? Yeah, it's, Civil War in the Senate yeah, before before the Civil War happened, they had to bring in dogs yeah. and hold the dogs in the front in case any senator got out of hand when between North and South, they would threaten to unleash the dogs. Like how even crazy now the that? Senate's kind of getting. You watch some of those Senate hearings now; it gets kind of interesting at times. But that's oh, a whole yeah, other said at least. whole other thing. Whole other thing. As we know for a fact, you know, he walks into the Senate, he is backstabbed by his two people first, and eventually they said about 60 people participate in the assistance. Participate, yeah, yeah. So he's stabbed 23, 23 times. times. Yep. Um, he's 55 at the time. And then pretty much what this does is it um, marks a downfall of the Roman Republic. So the yep. senators just say, so we're doing this to save the Roman Republic. That's what their argument is. When actually by doing this, they bring up the downfall of it. Yeah, right? they bring because another civil war. Yeah. They bring another civil war. Uh, Mark Anthony really gets them riled up, right? Because Mark Anthony is actually like a high priest, but so he's a good friend of Caesar. And he gets people riled up. But this is what's going to eventually give the rise of Caesar's grandnephew, Octavian, later becomes known as Augustus Caesar. And he becomes the first emperor of Rome. And that's the funny part, right? I mean, ironic, not funny. Like they thought Caesar was becoming too powerful than too the powerful. Senate. So, so let's kill, kill him. him. And the Senate will have power. No, that's not going to work. They basically made him a martyr. Say that leads to another civil war, right? That's when yep. um, Cleopatra and the son flee back. They're like, oh, we can't stay here, right? They go back to Egypt. Um, they eventually meet Mark Anthony, right? So Mark Anthony and his forces, because he's competing for power against Octavian. They're saying, yep. oh, who's going to, that's really what the civil war is. There's other factions, but pretty quickly it becomes Octavian versus Mark Anthony. Well, we should also say yeah. Mark Anthony is, is one of uh, Caesar's biggest generals. Biggest right. general, supporters, a high priest, yeah. right? Because uh, Caesar almost is almost seen as like a deity at this point, right? Yeah. He's like divine. And um, Mark Anthony then, because he likes Caesar so much, he also has an affair with Cleopatra, right? Yeah. That's a whole other thing um, until they're eventually surrounded by Octavian forces and they commit suicide, right? They poison themselves. And yeah. then Octavian comes in and he kills the son. And then he now becomes emperor of Rome. Crazy, isn't it? Oh, well, I mean, it's a crazy story. I mean, that's why Shakespeare wrote a story on it. 
you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. There's a whole bunch of uh, craziness, you know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff with like bloodlines and things like that. And Caesar's just one of these people. He has a huge impact. I and mean, all the calendar we have, look at this time period too. We have October's named after Octavian, right? Yeah. August for Augustus, July for Julius. So all, even our months that we, that are used come from people from this time period. Let's talk a bit some like little known facts about, about Julius Caesar. I mean, cause that, I mean, we talked about a few, like- yeah, but- yeah. We did kind of allude to a few of them there. Caesar's name, which no one really knows. There's some potential elephants involved. Uh, we did talk about his love affair and son with Cleopatra. You did allude to the fact that he created the um, Julian yeah. calendar. He's yeah. the guy that basically said the ordinary year is made up of 665, 365 days. However, it's 365 days, 0.24. Right. It's following a solar calendar where the old one used to follow a lunar calendar. Yep. But it never matched up properly with the season sometimes. That's why people didn't like it. But the world did use Julius Caesar's calendar until 1582. Yeah, um, the one that adopted was, after that with, um, is very similar, right? The, very um, similar. Or, I forgot what it was called. Uh, it, may, it makes the leap years occur every four years, except in a year's divisible by 100, and but not 400. And that supposedly like makes the accuracy over the years a little bit better. Uh, Caesar was also the first Roman to make a coin in his image. Yeah, interesting. Interesting, considering he was still alive. I mean, and but it also adopts the idea of going forward of like coinage having rulers and leaders on them. Unless you're in Canada, then there's like hockey. Then it's hockey. Yeah, we talked about purple hockey. Yeah. But, well, but, but, when he dies, like it should show mm-hmm. like how much the people, how much he future people too. He wills all of his like all of his land, his gardens, his his artwork, and his money to the people of Rome. Every Roman citizen got some of his personal wealth after he died in his will. You know, it's that's almost like when we talked about on our podcast about uh, Ben Franklin. Franklin, yeah, that he I, I remember like yeah. left money to to Philadelphia and the people of Philadelphia and the merchants of Philadelphia. It's almost like again, you learn from history, right? You kind of could see where that came from. Okay, what else we have? You can actually visit the spot today where he was um, killed, and you can actually it's- go in the spot where um, he was cremated too. Like it's still there. Did you see something like there's like a cat sanctuary at the same spot where like he was killed now? You think it was just over 2,000 years later, you can still go there. I think another thing interesting to talk about Caesar is that a lot of um, later leaders try to emulate him. Probably one of the most notorious is uh, Mussolini. He saw himself as a Caesar and he wanted to basically bring back the glory of Rome. And there is a form of government, which is actually known as um, Caesarism, which is a form of government, recognized form of government where there's usually a military leader. Right, so you could say that yep. Napoleon was one, or right? you can say that uh, Mussolini was one. And the term Czar from Russia is actually com- is actually Russian for Caesar. Yeah, I did see that. Kaiser too, um, He's German. So he actually becomes, you know, his name. Your name becomes like a title in other parts of the world. That's crazy. Imagine yeah. like people saying you are a Zablocki. Nah. Like wow, yeah, the honor of. Yeah, half my students don't even say that. I'm just Mr. Z. Because you're so cool. Do you think that's cool? When, <laughs> when we were younger and I called like Mr. Something, Mr. T or whatever, they were like, um, it's this or like, it's Mr. Smith. It's not Mr. S. Like now it thinks it's so different. So different. Yeah. I don't think mine even call me Mr. Half the time. <laughs> yeah. Now you should get some blocky or I get, <laughs> like I get last, easy. This last name or, or maybe if they, maybe if they need extra credit or help or something, then they'll. Oh, that's when you know, Mr. Zablocki. I'm like, what do you want? This was a cool story that we kind of. Did not mention at all, but when he the first time, uh, when he's young and he gets married and then basically gets chased out and joins the military in 75 BC, gets kidnapped 
Yeah, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. So Caesar's ship is hijacked uh, yeah. by pirates on an alpha ransom, southwestern yeah. coast of Asia Minor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his captors named a ransom price for his release. Yeah, he was like, like no, it should be more than that. He was exactly. angry. <laughs> yeah, he was like offended. And mind you, he wasn't really like, he's only 25 yet. So this isn't the Caesar yet, but he's already mm -hmm. known, you know, like locally known in a sense, like he's doing okay military wise, but, but this is not Caesar the leader. So anyway, they ask for a ransom and he gets upset because he's like, this is insulting. You need to ask for a greater sum. So they're like, oh, okay. So the pirates actually ask um, for a greater sum and they do get the higher figure. Uh, there's raised by Caesar and his family and he's freed. But he basically tells them like, now, thank you. And I will find you one day and kill you all for doing this. Yeah, well, like, I'm, I'm going to crucify you all. Yeah. And he so does. And he does. So he goes back, he gets free. He raises up a... Um, fleet of his own finds a pirate and crucifies them all but he does slit their throats first because he does feel bad about it yes <laughs> isn't that crazy <laughs> again we know a lot of this stuff because he wrote about it i don't know if that's something to brag about but i guess in that time period it yeah i guess about, it's kind know? of it's kind of badass i, I guess. said i was gonna crucify them and i did but i sit their throats because you know because I'm, nice I'm a good kind being and yeah. they're like oh man that, that was a good move Anyway, if you guys go out there and look for stuff, there's literally websites that are just called Fun Facts on Julius Caesar. Oh, there's, there's thousands. Go sure. have, a, have a blast. But until then, for, first of all, thank you uh, to our listeners for suggesting this one. This was a fun one. Um, and continue suggesting them. We'll take all your emails. Uh, you could always find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We're there uh, to answer any questions and you know, respond to any emails. We always respond to our emails. That is, that is true. So I guess that's it. And then we'll see you guys next week. So thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.